Welcome aboard, folks. Oh, I'm 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 getting weird feedback. Okay. Hmm. Interesting. Does that help? Yeah, that helped. Okay, that's better. <laughs> this is Joe Public. You're listening to the Public Record. It's Tuesday. It's that time. Uh, in which I'm going to do the music thing. And I have a theme. It is the return. The long-awaited return of the beast from Five Fathoms. The one, the only, Proggy McProgerson. That's right, folks. It's Prog Rock Night. If you don't know what that is, just sit back, listen. You know, I'll try and get you into it and gently so that so it's not jarring for you, so that it doesn't trouble your constitution, so it doesn't take your... Your mind to places that your mind shouldn't go. How's that? Start off easy. This one will be okay. It won't hurt you. Proggy McProgerson will not hurt you. <laughs>
That didn't hurt, did it? Didn't hurt. You survived. A little bit of progressive rock never hurt anybody, right? I mean, well, one hopes. <laughs> I mean, maybe, maybe activities adjacent to progressive rock may have caused harm, but the progressive rock did not hurt them. Let's put it that way. I'm Joe Public. You're listening to The Public Record. That was Van de Graaff Generator with Theme One. That's another cool thing about um, progressive rock bands is like there's no such thing as a title that is too pretentious or a concept too pretentious. In fact, the entire objective is to be as pretentious and strange as you possibly can be, to be as progressive and, uh, you know, pushing the envelope as you can as you can get. Uh, speaking of pushing envelopes, before that, I don't know why that is the case, but before uh, Von de Graaff Generator, we had Emerson Lake and Palmer, possibly the biggest progressive rock band ever, and also the most hated. Um, ELP did Hoedown there. I kind of dig that song, and it's just an instrumental, and, and I'm going to try and... Um, Get something up with vocals in there because I got a, like more stuff to say about ELP because um, I think they're 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 in they're an interesting artifact of the era. Um, one, I don't think most people walking around in 2021 realize that from like 1970 to 1979, ELP sold 48 million copies of their albums, and they were one of the biggest touring bands in the world just massive like one of the first bands to genuinely play to big sports stadiums all on their own um so so big a draw they headlined one of the days of the cal jam festival and and to give you an idea of who they were above the bill on on that uh auspicious day um deep purple played before them um and the Eagles were on the bill, and they played in the afternoon. Like, they played in broad daylight. Deep Purple at least got to play as the sun was going down. Um, but, yeah, Emerson Lake Palmer headlined Cal Jam, which was gigantic, a ginormous rock festival out in the middle of uh, the Central Valley in, in uh, Southern California. Um, and was such a big event that, like, highlights from it were broadcast on uh, ABC television network. You can find clips of that on YouTube, just like oodles of them. They're, they're fascinating to watch, um, particularly if you can find any of the stuff from ELP set, because to think that they were the headliner of a thing that had network broadcast time, like primetime broadcast time, um, and as out there as some of the stuff they did was, I mean, little extended keyboard solos and, and whatnot, um, that's just kind of mind-blowing. Um, but they were also sort of like the nickelback of their era in the sense that uh, 48 million people bought their records. Um, but when when it was time to hate them, they became the poster child for everything that was wrong in uh, rock music. And, um, and it kind of destroyed them as a band. I mean, they also had issues getting along with each other. But can you imagine your, you know, you're such a huge act that you're one of the first artists that requires a fleet of semi-trailers to haul your show and your equipment around from venue to venue. And they, from what I understand, they invented the idea of leapfrogging where they actually had full sets of all of their equipment and staging 
in two different sets of of trucks and the tr and one set of trucks would go to one venue and they'd set up they'd play a, a concert or two there while the other set of trucks was going to the next place and the band was flying between those locations rather than driving that's just stunning i mean just logistically speaking incredible thing to do in the mid 1970s but they went from that to their their final album before they they broke up at, in 1979 um just absolutely they couldn't give away 10 copies of that record and um nobody wanted to see them and nobody wanted to admit that they were an elp fan um i can remember in high school like i was my older sister was really into progressive rock and so that sort of got me introduced to it and then i had friends that were older friends in high school who were really really into it and so i was into it i felt like i had permission like amongst my age group nobody liked it but i had permission to because i had friends who were still into it and um it's so weird to me that like when i put on my first emerson lake palmer record that i bought and i bought uh the um uh um the Tarkus album, the first time I put it on, like I felt like I needed to listen to it in secret. That's that's how much of a pariah they'd become by like 1980, 1981 kind of thing. Um, but they're hugely important all throughout progressive rock and it just, and it continued. The influence and the importance continued on into the early 90s, which is nuts. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, I'm going to revisit the whole ELP thing because there's there's a lot there's a lot to unpack there. Um, before them, we heard John Paul Jones, one of his solo records, a song called Leafy Meadows. Um, JPJ is just like he's one of my musical heroes. And he I love his solo records because they're so unabashedly prog rocky. Like he is just going for the weird polyrhythms and and the and the strange dissonant chords and stuff like that. So I kind of dig that. And I started off a little little gentle with um, Roxy Music, Both Ends Burning, uh, from the Sirens LP. Um, that whole, like, two, there's two Roxy Music records. There's Sirens and uh, Country Life that to me are, like, two of the greatest sounding albums ever. Like, even if I didn't like the songs, I would love the way the record sounded. Um, and then I love the songs. And, and so one of the things in here is um, you have uh, cross-pollination that happened through progressive rock bands. And so like um, Roxy Music's keyboard player and violinist at that point was a guy named Eddie Jobson. Eddie Jobson went on to be in a band with John Wetton, who was in King Crimson and would later go on to be in Asia with Steve Howe from Yes and Carl Palmer from Emerson, Lake and Palmer uh, and Jeff Downs from The Buggles and Yes. So oh what a tangled web we weave anyway thanks for tuning in to this proggy mcprogmas um kind of thing that i'm doing today tonight i do this this show it seems like you know sort of annually maybe a little more frequently than annually um i just i need to exercise the ghosts i guess and and i dig it it's fun i like listening to this stuff turned up really loud in my studio so that's it that's that's it you y'all are just stuck with me <laughs> <laughs> you tuned in. I yeah, I didn't make you. <sighs> so where am I going from? Where where am I going from there? 
now. Um, here's a here's a band I didn't pay a lot of attention to um, in the seventies and eighties, but uh, I I like them. I dig them. This is Curved Air with Backstreet Love. <laughs> Summer's 
crosses are green, the crosses are blue Your friends didn't make it through Out of the night and out of the dark Into the fire and into the fight Well, that's the way the heroes go Cracking mother earth, blazing heart, the molten rock spills out over the land. And the love is the lover who licks your boots away.
I've had multiple debates over the years with people who are diehard, like ride or die, uh, progressive rock fans about whether or not Supertramp really is a progressive rock band. And I am I am emphatically on the side of yes, they are. And that song, Crime of the Century, from the album of the same name, um, is full of it's full of the reasons why. And I think the the reason why a lot of prog fans it's funny, progressive rock fans can be very similar to um punk rock fans, in that any band who becomes popular or has a hit record is suddenly not punk, right? And if you have a hit record and you're popular, you're not a progressive rock band, which is weird because like I said earlier in the mid 1970s, like nobody was selling more records almost than Emerson, Lake and Palmer. And you clearly cannot argue without being just tragically stupid that ELP was not a progressive rock band. I mean, seriously, you are dumb if you make that argument (laughs) to put it nicely. It's not really nice. Is it? Uh, I'm Joe Public. You're listening to the Public Record. Before Superchamp, we heard uh, Alan Parsons Project, The Raven, from their album uh, "Songs of uh, Tales of Mystery and Imagination," which is the entire. It's the concept. Alan Parsons Project. This is another thing like people don't know because Alan Parsons Project went on to have these big pop hits and these records with you know three and four minute songs on it that just kind of sounded like you know mainstream pop um i i think i even used to refer to it as like mom rock when i was uh, trying to denigrate it because i was a big fan of alan parsons i was a really big fan of the of of the records he made with that you know loose aggregation of musicians that he worked with in the studio um until he stopped being all proggy and started being you know too poppy for me um but the very first LP that he did under that name was Tales of Mystery and Imagination, which is a concept, a uber concept album. The concept is derived from uh, Edgar Allan Poe's Tales of Mystery and Imagination. And so everything on the record references Edgar Allan Poe. Um, there's a song called Cast of Montalado. Um that was and that track was the Raven, and I love that track so much. In fact, I I forgot how much I liked that album. Um, the follow up to Tales of Mystery and Imagination was another super concept record called I Robot, which is all about the Isaac Asimov um, I Robot novel. So there you go. I, I love the like the deep concept thing, and and the fact that there's like tuneful and listenable and interesting music that comes out of that. That's really cool. Um, I'm a sucker for people who have concepts. Um, before Alan Parson Project Genesis with Dance on a Volcano, I did a big debate. Debate, um, and I realized that when I've done this in the past, if I've played a Genesis tune with Phil Collins singing, I usually play like Abacab. Or something like that, um, which is a song I absolutely love intensely. But if I played like the older school Genesis, I was tending to do a Peter Gabriel tune and probably something off Foxtrot, like Watcher in the Skies or or something like that. And and I realized, you know what? There's some really really good stuff on Trick of the Tail and you know the the Phil early Phil Collins. Um, before Genesis sort of went into a more poppy, more mainstream direction. Uh, and that track was Dance on a Volcano from Trick of the Tail. 
there you go. I used to love, so I will totally self-own as ha- being somebody who I think I saw Genesis in concert six times. Um, it might actually be more than that, but it's at least six. And um, even twice on the same tour where they came through um, the Bay Area twice on the same tour. And I went to both shows and, um, you know, they were a great live band, like an incredible performance. Um, and they put on a heck of a show and, and I, I always enjoyed it. And they, I, I recall one show they did at the Greek theater in Berkeley where they just did a big, big ass segment, like right in the middle. I said, okay, for those of you who've been with us for a really long time, the next set of songs is for you. And they did dance on a volcano and squonk and, you know, just stuff they hadn't been playing a lot. Um, and it was, it was fun to watch and to see like the older fans who knew what was going on, just go bananas over it. So that was cool. And curved air started that set off with backstreet love. Like I said, not a band that I was into back in the day, but one that I've gotten into, um, as a, as a, as an elder, as an elder prog. Uh, <laughs> I crack me up. Again, I'm Joe Public. You're listening to The Public Record. Thank you so much for tuning in. Um, if you had tuned in and expected me to play, you know, my usual mix of chaotic, um, disco funk, punk, hard rock, and whatnot, and then I'm doing this, um, I hope you're still digging it, and I, I hope you enjoy it. So I'm going to go into, an, a, you know, this is a theme show. I'm going to go into a theme set. So there's a guy in the world of progressive rock who doesn't get a lot of love, and he passed away several years ago. His name is John Wetton, and John Wetton was in a bunch of bands. And the interesting thing about John Wetton is that he basically got his start as being the guy who sounded like and could play Greg Lake's he vocal his vocals sounded like Greg Lake and he could play Greg Lake's bass parts. So he tended to follow in the footsteps of wherever Greg Lake had left. And one of those times he ended up in a band um that is another giant icon of progressive rock. And um the stuff that uh, John Wetton did with King Crimson is vastly underrated. And one of those things is this song. This is called One More Red Nightmare. Thanks. <laughs>
And that's Asia. That's Cutting It Fine with John Wetton, Jeff Downs, Steve Howe, and Carl Palmer. And before that, um, I did, uh, I played a song from the debut album by UK, a song called Mental Medication. And King Crimson did One More Red Nightmare. And all of those songs feature John Wetton on bass and on vocals. And like I said uh, before I play that set, you know, one of the things that happened with him was he was the guy you went to when you wanted Greg Lake sound alike. Um, and it's sort of unfortunate because I think there's a lot of people who don't know that it's a different dude. Um, and, uh, Wetton had his own thing. I mean, very distinct. I mean, Greg Lake tend to tended to pour his heart into, uh, songs where he was basically accompanying himself on acoustic guitar with other stuff going on and and not be so down for being the the, the hard-driving rocker dude. And Wetton was totally the hard-driving rocker dude. Um, I can remember seeing Asia at the Warfield Theater in San Francisco uh, when they were touring for their first album, when it started to have some get some traction but hadn't really had any hits and so it was cool to be able to see them in a relatively small venue and just blow the doors off the place i mean it was it was fantastic although it was funny so the audience was mostly folks older than myself and my friend rob who went um because we're still like you know he's just out of high school and i'm i'm still in high school and uh we go to see this, you know, these guys were all iconic performers from progressive rock. And the, the room is just full of people way older than us. And they are smoking a huge amount of weed. And Asia is not a weed band. I mean, it's just not. They were slicker, more, you know, commercially accessible kind of thing. And, and so it was just weird, you know, it just, just like didn't fit. Um, I thought about like John Wetton got to play in not one, but two bands with Bill Bruford. So, um, on drums in King Crimson with him was Bill Bruford and in also in the original lineup of UK, um, also along for the ride in UK was Eddie Jobson, who I mentioned earlier, who, who had been in Roxy music, um, strange little prog rock footnote. Um, when yes, uh, reformed in the late eighties, um, and did owner of a lonely heart, you know, with Trevor Rabin and all that kind of stuff. Um, their original keyboard player had rejoined, but then he had a, uh, like there was some sort of payment issue. Like he wasn't going to get paid what he wanted to tour and that kind of thing. So temporarily he was replaced in yes with Eddie Jobson. And if you watch the owner of a lonely heart music video, um, there's a dude in there who doesn't look like he belongs um, because you never saw him again. And yes, and that's because as they were getting ready to go out and promote um, the 90125 album, um, they, they had recruited Eddie Jobson as their new keyboard player and he shows up in the video. So that's, that's weird trivia. So Eddie Jobson's in UK along with Bill Bruford, but also Alan Holdsworth, who um, if you know any metalheads, um, Guys who were in in the metal and um, like the early shredding deal in the eighties, um, Alan Holdsworth was like name dropped by uh, by every idiot teenager who played the guitar because Ed, Eddie Van Halen 
mentioned him in an interview as a favorite guitar player. And like, you couldn't, you couldn't find an Alan Holdsworth record. Um, like you just couldn't find it. And he didn't last in UK. Like it, it wasn't a good fit. And so he was cast aside and then Bill Bruford quit and he was replaced by Terry Buzio from who at the time had been playing with Frank Zappa's band. Um, and he left UK to start missing persons. So that's a weird turn a little bit. Um, but how badass of a drummer is Terry Buzio if he can uh, step in and and fill the shoes of Bill Bruford? I am reminded of a line from Venture Brothers um, from an episode that's called uh, Perchance to Dean, um, where Dr. Venture is trying to mentor his son, Dean, uh, into a career in super science. And the way that he is uh, encouraging him is by introducing him to progressive rock. Um, and his, one of his warnings, he said, now don't do any air drumming to this. Cause if you try an air drum to Bill Bruford, you could end up breaking your wrists. <laughs> and, and, and it's totally true. It's a hundred percent true. Anyway, I always thought John Wetton was kind of a cool guy. I liked his voice. Um, I liked the aggression that he put in playing the bass. Um, and just kind of thought, wow, man, got he got kind of a good deal. And then, you know, like everybody runs away from, from Asia and he, you know, he's left holding the bag and then he's not in the band and he's back in the band. And I don't know, just kind of rough, kind of rough. And also to be just known as the guy who sounds like Greg Lake is kind of lame, but there you go. I'm Joe public. You're listening to the public record. And, uh, it's amazing when you do progressive rock, uh, show how few songs you get to play <laughs> oh, i cracked me up so i figured that was some like you know that last track that set was a little you know hardcore prog rock up to the end and i figured a good transition after that was some uh fence sitting prog from rush so here you go <laughs>
Uh, I used to get into arguments about this record. And it was, it went somewhere along the lines of uh, Animals is the worst Pink Floyd album. And that's not even close to being true. If you say that, um, then you have not paid any attention to the records that came before Dark Side of the Moon. And I would argue also paid no attention to uh, the final cut, which is awful. Um, Anyway, I think though that I'd said for years Animals was my favorite Pink Floyd album, but I don't actually think that's true. I think as an album, my favorite is Wish You Were Here. And um, however, when I want to hear Pink Floyd, I either want to hear One of These Days or that last song, Sheep. I think it's got some of the best... Floydiness ever, and it 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 manages to be like airy and spacious and ag- and aggressive at the same time, which I think is super cool. That's a thing that that very very few bands could pull off. And before that, yes, with uh, another record that, that like got me in arguments. Um, song is does it really happen off the drama LP, and that is my favorite Yes album, um, without a doubt. And and that really chaps the hide of a lot of yes fans because it's it's the yes after john anderson and rick wakeman quit and we're replaced by the buggles basically for you know i'm not going to put a fine point on it trevor horn took over on vocals and jeff downs on keyboards and they were before they joined yes the buggles um and i just love that album so much like there's the way it sounds, the songwriting, and that song doesn't really happen. Really, really are it really gets um, as close as you'll probably ever get to a yes song with Chris Squire singing the lead vocal because he does a huge amount of unison singing on that song with Trevor Horn, and it it's it's not harmony. What he tended to do with John Anderson was to sing harmony, and on that song he actually sang unison. Um, so he's like a, a different octave, but he's right there with with Trevor Horn, and I I dig that song so much, and 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 that album. Um, that yeah, the songs on that record. I le- I'll put it this way: I learned to play the bass by playing along to three records. Um, I played along with Drama by Yes. Um, played along with uh, Regatta de Blanc by The Police and um, U2's um, Under a Blood Red Sky, the live record they recorded, live EP that they recorded before just like as they were sort of starting to become noticed in the U.S. And that's a weird collection of people to learn the bass from because like Chris Squire is a virtuoso bass player. I would argue Sting is also a virtuoso bass player in his own right, but many people would disagree with me. Um, And Adam Clayton of U2 is a... Adam Clayton of U2 is an exercise in minimalism as a bass player. and, And I... I appreciate that. Um, you know what? Nobody wants the lead bass. That's <laughs> except maybe Rush fans. Um, speaking of, 
started that set off with Rush, Digital Man. And I said I was going to play like a, like a fence sitter progressive rock song because Rush had hit it as a mainstream rock band with the Moving Pictures album before uh, the LP that Digital Man came off of. And, but Digital Man is, I mean, that song's like six and a half minutes long. That's a, that's a progressive rock song, man. <laughs> and do you hear that bass playing and drumming on there? That's one of those songs where if like you're Alex Lifeson, like, okay, hey, you guys just, you know, do what you do. I'm going to hang back over here out of the way. I'm going to make it sound pretty. And I, I, I'm going to be the best looking one in the band and make it sound pretty. That's my job. Oh, look at me with my new way of haircut and my really dashing suit that I wear on stage. Um. <laughs> I would love to go hang out with Alex and tell him I just said that. He would just, he'd either punch me or, or, or offer to buy me a drink. I, I don't know. I'm Joe Public. You're listening to the Public Record here on Radio Note. Uh, I'm grinning ear to ear, so that makes it hard to talk. It's hard to talk when you're smiling really big. I'm smiling really big. I don't know. I've been having a good time with this. And I, I stuck the headphones on with Sheep, uh, the Pink Floyd track. Oh, my God. That's, see, that's the thing. That's the thing that, miss, that you miss out on when you're into like uh, so-called alternative and punk rock is quite often there's no headphone experience to be had. Um, everything's too straightforward. Um, and I like headphone rock. Uh, it's, that's to me, I am, I'm super into headphone rock. Um, I almost to the, almost to the detriment of, of, of bands that I've been in recordings I've done where I've done things that like try and make things go wide and, and move. I want movement. I want to hear stuff that moves around. I just don't want to be smacked over the head with the drums and the, and the bass and the guitar. <laughs> oh my goodness okay well so one of the things that happens when you do a prog rock set is that you run out of time rapidly right so i'm probably not going to come back on mic i might but i probably won't i'm gonna play some more music out and i appreciate y'all uh tuning in and i promise not to do this that all that often unless someone asks me to how's that this is joe public uh, you've been listening to the public record and you know what we haven't done tonight? We have not done any Jethro Tull. So that is what's going to happen right here.
don't mean I'm blind Perhaps there's a thing or two I think of lying in bed I shouldn't have said But there it is You see it's all clear You are meant to be Thank <laughs> you.